welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. All right, fantastic. Now, yes, we are going to continue a series we began this morning called Christmas Unwrapped. And if you missed it this morning, shame on you to begin with. But that's okay. You can redeem yourself because you can download it from iTunes or from our website. Because Pete did do an amazing job this morning in setting up the whole series. Yeah, I reckon that is worth another round of applause, I reckon. Your clapping tonight really leaves a lot to be desired for. Come on, let's give Pete the clap that he truly deserves. All right. Fantastic. Now, In case you missed it, it is a series that we're basically doing to look at some of the significant things that happened leading up to the birth of Christ. And it is our hope that through that, we all develop a better understanding and appreciation as to why Jesus came. Now, if you missed this morning, uh, Pete called this message, History Not Fantasy. And he looked at the fact that the account of the Gospels is reliable, historical and factual. Some of his main points were this that uh, the number of eyewitnesses in the life of Jesus add to his credibility, that the the reliability of these witnesses add to his credibility. And also Luke, the person who wrote the gospel, actually adds to the credibility of the gospel as well. Now tonight, I'm going to touch on another area which I think is quite interesting. And it's simply this, that before the birth of Christ, God actually foretold that it was going to happen. Actually, God said, one day my son will be born, my only begotten son will come into human history. He will be born and he will save the world. And he gave ample information, detail and description as to when and how this would happen. He did this so that it wouldn't catch anybody by surprise. And he did this by what the Bible calls prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Now, before we start looking into this, we're going to look at what prophecy is as a foundation. But I thought that to begin with, the best way to do it, because there are a lot of misconceptions out there as to what prophecy actually is. So I'm going to begin by telling you what prophecy is not. Because I think we all know a lot of really bad examples about prophecy. Now, I can just open my lunchbox here, is that all right? Okay. Let me tell you that prophecy is not this. It's an egg. It's very good. It's an egg. It's not prophecy. Now, some people actually believe that you can predict the future with an egg. I did a bit of research and I found that there are innumerable, innumerable numbers of ways that people try to predict the future and they pay lots of money to go and see these so-called prophets that are actually only after your prophet rather than telling you the truth. And they try to tell you the future and they reckon this has actually got a scientific name. It's called omency. If you boil an egg and then you put it in water and depending on the layers that it develops, it tells you your future. So if you want to know your future, you can go to the Word of God, you can go to the Bible, or you can conduct a little bit of omency, okay? Now, another way that you can predict the future is through this. The onion. Now, I was going to cut it up, but I thought I better not. I don't want to stink out the stage. 
It already smells here. That egg's already gone rotten. But this is also another recognized form of prophecy. It is called chromionancy. I'm sure I've pronounced it incorrectly. But that's another way that you can predict the future. You cut it up and you look at the layers in there and it tells you exactly what's going to happen in the future. Now you can do that as well if you wish. Now we all know this one. That one? Tea bag. Well, not the bag, but the leaves itself. Make yourself a nice cup of tea. And if you want to know what's going to happen to you, uh, whether you're going to marry that nice guy or that nice girl, have a look and uh, it will tell you your future. Now, that is not prophecy. Okay, I know a lot of people do it. A lot of people practice it and go to those places. But please, trust me, don't go there. That is not what biblical prophecy is. These are not ways to tell the future. And I can tell, actually, they are helping. I reckon that in the next three seconds, this is going to be taken away because it stinks right on time. Let's give it, let's give it a clap. Thank you very much. Maybe they do work after all. Now, Something else that biblical prophecy is not. It's all of those, those TV gurus, those self-appointed prophets that get it right most of the time. There was, there's one that I found called Jane Doherty, who's actually written a book, uh, which she calls Awakening the Mystic Gift Within You. Ooh, there you go. Now, this self-appointed prophet has correctly predicted that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie would still be together by the end of 2007. Aren't we all glad about that? Isn't that fantastic? She deals with such important issues. However, um, she has predicted that Barack Obama wouldn't be, would be out of the race by the end of 2007 as well. So it doesn't get it right all the time. However, she's still a recognised prophet because she gets it right most of the time. That is also not biblical prophecy. Let's have a look at what the Word of God actually says in regards to being able to be a real prophet. Can we do that tonight? I've got a scripture in 2 Peter 1.19 that I would like us all to read together. And this really stands in direct contrast to everything that we've just looked at. It says this, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is what prophecy is. And from here, we can glean a really good definition. And it's simply this. Biblical prophecy is the future told in advance by God through a prophet. The future told in advance by God through a recognized, appointed prophet. Also, it is something that, as this scripture tells us, that we must pay attention to. So if you receive a prophecy or if we read a prophecy, if God gives a prophecy, we must pay attention to it. And today we're looking at the prophecies about Christ. And people back then would have done well in paying attention to those prophecies. A real prophecy, a biblical prophecy, and this is very crucial, it is actually given by God. 
It is not the wisdom of man. It is not the strength of man. It is not the powers of man. But as this scripture tells us, it is given directly by God. That's what a prophecy is. And I think even more crucially important, a prophecy, a real prophecy is always accurate. It always comes to pass. That's how you know whether a prophecy is from God or not. If it comes to pass, it's from God. If it doesn't, it's from somewhere else. A prophecy is always, always going to come to pass. Now, Jesus fulfilled over 400 prophecies made about Him. And that is just staggering. And it actually adds credibility and reliability to the Gospels. Over 400 prophecies made about Him totally and completely and utterly fulfilled by Jesus. Now, some people have done a study on this with the modern science of probability. And this is what they've come up with. I've actually put a number to it. And they say that for, forget the 400, but for anybody to fulfill even just eight of those prophecies, they put a number to it and they say, the chances are one in 100 trillion. They are the chances of even only eight of those prophecies coming to pass, just accidentally, one in 100 trillion. Now, those numbers are staggering. I can't conceive that many zeros. So there is a little illustration that I've come up with. And if you want to picture this, it's like this. It's like marking a 50 cent piece all right, and getting 100 trillion other 50 cent pieces and scattering them all over Victoria, because that's what they would cover. And then blindfolding a man or a woman and then asking them to go and find that 50 cent piece that you have marked amongst the 100 trillion other 50 cent pieces. That's how much one in 100 trillion is. That's how much chance the prophets had of any of their prophecies coming to pass. However, Jesus fulfilled every single one of those. It is my hope and my prayer that as we share some of these things tonight, that you go away and look at them because they are amazing and they do add total reliability and authority to the Bible. Forget people that can get 30% or 40% right. We are talking about over 400 prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus that came to pass, that have been, as we found out this morning, historically recorded and that there are evidence for it. And so tonight, we're going to do an in-depth study of every single one of those 400 prophecies. Are you ready? Okay. Maybe that'd be a little bit intensive. I'd love to, but maybe we don't have that much time. How about if we just briefly look at three? Can we do that? All right. Three that I think are pretty, pretty interesting. Right. The first one is simply this, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That was a prophecy, that he would be born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, we read it and it says this, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. His goings forth are gone from long ago, from the days of eternity. This prophecy is clearly telling us where Jesus would be born and that is in Bethlehem. Now that to me adds absolute credibility to the Gospels and the reliability of the Gospels because I don't know about you, but 
I didn't have much of a say as to where I was going to be born. I couldn't manipulate that. I couldn't manufacture that. I had no power over where I would be born. I didn't sit back and say, yes, I'm going to be born in sunny Colombia, South America, and have these incredible good looks and soccer skills. <laughs> I, I, had no, I had no say in it. It just happened. It, all this is just God-given. It just, it just came to pass. I had no power over it. And same with Christ. Christ was born exactly where God the Father had ordained for Him to be born since the beginning of time. He said He would be born in Bethlehem. The prophets heard it. The prophets prophesied it. And this prophecy was incredibly fulfilled 800 years later, which is when which is the time between when Mike, the book of Micah was written and Jesus was, excuse me, Jesus was born. As we read in Luke 2, 47, we see the fulfilment of this incredible prophecy. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house. Sorry, I've lost my place here. Because he was... Uh, from Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register. Along came with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn for them. Here we see the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was a small rural town out of the way. Not a lot happened there. It was a little country town that you stop off on the way to Melbourne to fill up your petrol and wipe the bugs of the, of the windscreen and say goodbye to the old toothless man playing the banjo who's been staring at you. And you drive off really fast thanking Jesus that you weren't born there. That's the kind of town that Bethlehem was. Very little. By the way, it was uh, it's like Murray Bridge. I don't know. It was just it was one of the... Oh, how many people are here from Murray Bridge? You're welcome here. We love you, and all your heads. No, no, we love you. I'm kidding. I love people from Murray Bridge. You're, you're awesome. Can anything good come out of Murray Bridge? I think so. But it was that kind of town. It was a little dusty rural town. However, it had incredible significance, and this is where God's providence is just seen in an in an amazing way. Because we see that Bethlehem was also the place where David was born. So there are theological, historical and spiritual significance to this. In Bethlehem also Samuel crowned David king of in Bethlehem. And now we know this because we've done a, a series in this one of this one. David was a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. Remember Ruth and Boaz? Fantastic. Who, and I didn't know this, they were actually married in Bethlehem. So there was actually a huge amount of historical and theological significance. Now these, if, if there's anyone here who, who's not familiar with these characters, these are biblical characters that we've studied and that others have studied. And I encourage you as well to, to grab a Bible and have a look at some of these characters. Have a look at how God has planned this incredible salvation plan from the beginning. And other characters as well that make Bethlehem significant is uh, there is also the story of Rachel, the, uh, the wife of Jacob and mother of Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, when Rachel died, Jacob buried her just outside Bethlehem as well. So even though it was a small town, it had a lot of significance. Now, 
That's not coincidence that Jesus was born there. That to me also testifies of an incredible God just weaving his incredible hand of providence and arranging this great plan of salvation, saying from time eternal that this is where my son will be born. And this is where I want you to proclaim that my son will be born to warn the people, sorry if I said anything wrong, God. Thank you, come back. Okay, <laughs> I think it was a lot of me. But I, okay, we'll get back on with it. Um, and, uh, and, just, and just weaving his hand and saying, my son will be born in Bethlehem. And as he prophesied it, so it came to pass. I think it's an incredible, incredible, historical, significant event that we can celebrate and think about as we, as we approach Christmas and, and we realise that God the Father ordained this incredible event and actually foretold it joyfully. I don't, I don't see God, you know, just uh, being up there, you know, grabbing a prophet by the back of his head saying, write this down. This is what's going to come to pass. I just see God, the Father being excited, seeing his people who had walked away from him and sinned against him and turned his back from them saying, you've messed it up. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can't, you can't come to me. So I'm going to provide a way. And that way is going to be my son, Jesus, and he will be born. Now proclaim it. Let the people know that this is my plan. This is how I see it. This is how I see our loving God, excited about the fact of when and where his son would be born in Bethlehem. So when we sing those, those songs this, this year, let's just, let's just take a moment to think of, that, of the incredible significance behind some of those prophecies that came to pass. Something else that um, we see fulfilled in, in the Bible is the fact that he was born of a virgin. Jesus, born of a virgin. In Isaiah 7, 14, uh, the prophecy reads like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call him his name, Emmanuel. Now, this prophecy is also clearly telling us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And to me, this prophecy also testifies to the incredible reliability of the gospel because Pete touched on it this morning. Now, people are not going to stand up and prophesy things that they're not sure of, especially something like this. I mean, a virgin? Born of a virgin? That's just, that's just, that's just inconceivable. Can you imagine the prophet can you imagine Isaiah just getting all those revelations? Well, not pen and paper, tab, I don't know, whatever they wrote on, you know, and saying, oh yes, thank you, Jehovah. A king will be born, great. You know, he'll save Israel, fantastic. I'm born in Bethlehem, awesome. We'll deliver his people, great. We'll be born of a, vir- of a what? Born of a virgin? <laughs> Jehovah, I think you better take a break because I think you're getting a bit tired here. <laughs> this, this can't happen. No one can be born of a virgin. Now that to me tells me that, man, it has to be real because nobody, nobody in their right minds would go out and proclaim, I have heard from God and he, he will bear a son from a virgin woman. But they knew it and he was so convinced that proclaiming he did. He proclaimed it loudly and proudly. He announced it to the world that God would bear a son and that the mother would be a virgin and this son would be the king of the world and the deliverer of Israel prophesied some 600 years uh, prior. And then we see the fulfilment of this prophecy in Luke 1, 26. Let's have a look at the fulfilment. It reads like this. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Here's the fulfilment of that incredible prophecy that this young lady would bear God's only son, this young virgin. Now, I don't know if you ever stopped to think about Mary, but most historians talk about the fact that she was probably unschooled, that she was around about 13 to 14 years old. And then there she is going about her business, planning her life, and in comes this angel, in drops this angel and says, "Uh, I've got different plans for you. Imagine that. Imagine like you've got your life planned, your whole life planned ahead of you. You're going to finish school. You're going to take that trip around the world. You're going to come back and start that career. You're going to marry that cute boy in the second row. You've got it all planned out. For your, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And in comes this angel and says, uh-uh, sorry. Sorry, it won't be ducky. Well, it could be. <laughs> He's pointing at himself. So that's confidence. That's good. But in comes this angel and says, that's not what's going to happen. Firstly, you're going to bear a son before you're married, before intimacy. And that son is going to be the saviour of the universe. She gets told, gets prophesied some some months before it actually happens as well. And that's God's incredible plan. And And the significance of that for us, it had to be born of a virgin because Jesus had to be fully man, but he also had to be fully God. Therefore, the sinful nature that we all carry wasn't carried by Him. And hence, He became the perfect sacrifice for us and the way back to the Father. And through this prophecy, what I want you to catch is God once again using all of these things and arranging all of this from time eternal as an incredible plan of salvation. And that's what I, that's what I glean from, from Christmas and from these prophecies. It's just God the Father up there saying, this is my plan. This is my plan. My son, my only begotten son will be born of this virgin so that my son will be a sinless offering acceptable to me for the lives of many, for the lives of any who would put their trust in him. That is an incredible, incredible prophecy that came to pass in Jesus' time, in Jesus' birth, born of a virgin. Another prophecy that we'll look at today just briefly. Like I said, there are 400 and I thought about putting you through all of them, uh, but I know some of you got to get home. So we'll just look at a few today. Okay. Another one that I think is quite significant as well is this one. The fact that it was prophesied that he would be worshipped by shepherds. Worshipped by shepherds. Psalm 72, 9 says this, Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Now, nomads of the desert was normally a reference for shepherds. And this was also a significant prophecy because back then it was actually unthinkable that a newborn king would actually be be worshipped or be honoured initially by anybody other than someone from their social status. That, That mere shepherds. The lowly of the lowliest would actually be there at the birth, worshipping this king of kings. That was also quite quite, quite a prophecy that the prophets had to make and they had to be sure about because it would be laughable that shepherds would come and honour this great king that was was born. These shepherds, they were so insignificant that they didn't even have their names written in the Bible. They just referred to as shepherds. However, it was prophesied that this would happen. 
And because it was prophesied by God through man, before time, it came to pass. And we see the fulfilment of this another incredible prophecy in Luke 2, 8 to 15. Read it along with me. It's a little bit long, but just bear with me because I think it just captures this prophecy really well. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I encourage you again this Christmas. That's why we're unwrapping this. That's why we're calling it Christmas Unwrapped. When we sing the songs, when we talk about the shepherds, it's, it's, it's not just a little nice add-on to the story to make it look cute that we had these little shepherds that came and saw Jesus. No, this is is actually a statement by God. It's significant that he said, I want all peoples to come and worship me. The high and the lowly, the ins and outs, everyone, the successful, the rich, the poor, I am for all people. This is what this prophecy tells me, that that's the God that we serve. That it doesn't matter who you are, you can come and honour me. My gift of salvation is for the whole world. For so God loved the entire world that He gave His only Son and He gave it on that day that all would come and, and worship Him. So the shepherds, they were there, they was just doing their thing in their prayer with their sheep. They get this angel, this apparition and they go straight to Jesus and they go and worship Him and honour and give Him the praise that He is so worthy of. So this, this, this Christmas, again, just think about that. That was an actually God thought of it important enough to actually foretell it centuries beforehand so that people would be prepared and people would recognise Christ, a Christ that wasn't just for the high and mighty, but it was for the lowly and for everything in between, a saviour for the whole world. And the fact also that, he was, um, a sh- that shepherds came to, uh, to see him was also significant because if you remember, David was a shepherd as well. King David, who was one of the mightiest, greatest rulers of Israel, who, who was also a forefather of Jesus, of Jesus several um, generations prior to him. He was a shepherd. He, so God drew a shepherd and made him a king. So it was just fitting that he would also grab shepherds and to bring him to Jesus, to pay homage and honour to the King of the world, to the Saviour of the universe. So once again, we see God just, just weaving this incredible tapestry of providence, moving events, creating events, and because He loves us, foretelling us in advance that that were going to come to pass because He loves us so much. Now look, these are three prophecies that we've looked at really briefly. There's so much in them that again, I just encourage you, have a look through them. Like I said, there are 400 of them. Take your time and just, just go through them because they are interesting. I'll just give you a few more um, and um, we'll just go on from there. Other prophecies that I think are noteworthy are that Jesus was going to be from the house of Judah, 
from the root and stump of Jesse, from the house of David, his birth would trigger a massacre of infant boys, that he would come out of Egypt, that his mission would include the Gentiles, his ministry would include miraculous signs, his ministry would deliver spiritual captives, his ministry would be despised and rejected by men, he would be hated without cause, rejected by rulers, rejected by his own brothers, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, his, the silver would be returned, the silver used would be, the, the, sorry, the silver would be used to buy a potter's field and that his disciples would scatter. All these events that we read over when we read the New Testament, when we read the Bible, were prophesied by loving God hundreds of years prior that people would recognise this incredible Saviour that came to offer himself that you and I may be reconciled back to our Heavenly Father. Can I get the worship team to come back up, please? Thank you. If that was Moggy, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I'm a prophet, no? We have a gentleman in this church that loves to clap and we love him for it. So. Sweet. Now, something else that I would love you to take away from this teaching tonight is that all of this happened because, and, and you might have heard me say it a few times, it's, it's God's plan. It was all God's amazing plan of salvation. That you know, his son would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, um, that he would be honoured by, by shepherds. And he was also honoured by great kings as well. If you remember the Magi, they were kings who came to honour him on the same night. And uh, all of this happened because of God's zeal for you, God's zeal for me, and God's desire to bring about his incredible, awesome plan of salvation. Before we go tonight... I want to remind you also of what else happened after his birth. The fact that after he lived his life, the fact that after he taught about the kingdom of God and revealed who God is, he went on a cross and fulfilled one of the final prophecies about his life. That he would give his life as a ransom for many and for any who would put their trust and their faith in him. There is no other way to God except through him. And he made, Jesus himself made one incredible, incredible prophecy that I would love to just share with you tonight and I would love you to think about. We've learned that God's prophecies come to pass. God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And he wants you to know what's going to happen because he loves you. And he wants you back into, in relationship with him that you may then fulfill the plans and purposes that he has for you that you may then walk in the, in the liberty and the freedom and the joy that it is to know Him. There's this amazing prophecy that Jesus Himself left us with and it's found in John 14, 3. And I'd just love you just to think about this. Maybe just close your eyes where you're at. And Jesus just simply prophesies this. That if, this is Jesus speaking. That if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That you also may be where I am. Those of us who have put our trust and our faith in Christ can look forward to the day where this prophecy comes to pass. And that fills me from joy. I can't help but smile from ear to ear when I think of that. 
that we have a heavenly Father that one day come back and gather us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and He will make all things new and He will take us to be where He is forever and ever. And this, I can guarantee, just like the other 400 prophecies that came to pass, will come to pass one day. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.